Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to our second episode covering the 44th Seattle International Film Festival. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me this time around is a fellow Seattle film critic, Matt Oakes of Silver Screen Riot. Hello, Aaron. What's up? <laughs> well, we're up because it's morning right now, and we're not at work. We're doing yeah. this instead, which is pretty cool. So, Matt, I, you know, I've wanted to get you on for a while, and I'm glad that we had this opportunity come up. This is a great way to kind of break you into the podcast. I'm sure we'll have you on for a full episode later, but I know you have lived in Seattle much longer than I have, and you've definitely been doing the film critic thing much longer than I have. So I'm wondering what your experience with SIF is, how, how far does that extend, and what other festival experience do you have? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I, I wonder if I've been around that much longer than you. I've only been in Seattle for about Five and a half, six years. So similar-ish? Yeah. Well, this time I've actually lived here the majority of the last 17 years. I've just okay. been gone for a couple stints. So I guess I've got you beat. Yeah. I'm fairly new still, but um, from my first year here, I covered SIF, the Seattle International Film Festival. It was actually my way into Allied. So uh, I was originally... When I moved here, I had I had my own blog, but I was writing for some other publications, some local, uh, one based out of New York. And that kind of got my foot in the door uh, with SIF back in 2013, which was the first year I was living in Seattle. And from there, I made my connections through uh, the local PR firm. So got accredited that way. So that was my entrance into it. I know some other people kind of went the flip side route. So from my first year covering it, I kind of dove in head first, saw a million things. For those who are in the Seattle area, you might have heard of the festival. Outside of it, it's not that popular, um, but its claim to fame is that it's, it is the quote unquote biggest film festival in the world um, just by fact of sheer volume. Well, and when I, you last a month and a half long, you can do that. <laughs> it's too much. And and my complaints about SIF are fairly well documented at this point. I'm one who would much prefer something uh, that, that champions quality over quantity. And I think that that's an area where they, they suffer. I won't go into that too much. We're not here to drag them through the mud. But yeah, so I've been covering it pretty steadily for since 2013. So I guess that would make, I think this is my sixth six year covering it, um, if my math's right there. But after after my first year at SIF, um, I kind of also used that as a platform to apply to other film festivals. And so for the past five years, I've also been covering um, Sundance and, and South by Southwest, both of which I hold in much higher esteem personally. But uh, SIF's a fun little local fest if you're you know, in the Seattle area. Yeah. And I think one of the keys here is, you know, we're going to have quite a few films that we recommend, you know, both on the, the previous episode uh, with myself and Mike Ward. And then now this one, there are good films in here for people to go see. It's just that volume. It's, it's trying to get through it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, if you're out there in Seattle and you're listening to this, that's the point is for us to tell you we're killing ourselves trying to get these whittled down to tell you that, find, you know, find, like, focus the on these 15 five. or 20. Yeah. yeah. Or five. Whereas Something other great. film festivals, like you're talking about Sundance and South by Southwest and things like that are so condensed. Like you're going to get. Usually when you go to stuff. something, yeah. yeah, you're batting at a, at a higher average. Whereas exactly. Like there's <laughs> good a way to duddy. put it. It's it a little duddy with some duds. Well, let's start off with what I, I think could be a good one. Um, the first film we're going to talk about is called Eighth Grade. It's from director Bo Burnham. It is about, I'll just read the synopsis. Newcomer Elsie Fisher in a star-making performance perfectly captures the everyday humiliations and triumphs of a modern-day 13-year-old making her way through the last week of her thus far disastrous eighth grade year. In this auspicious filmmaking debut of comedian Bo Burnham. That's kind of the SIF synopsis of this. There's not a lot to say, I don't think, in a synopsis for this film because it is a coming-of-age film about a girl in eighth grade in her final year, as far as I understand it. Now, you've seen this one. I haven't. Uh, that's going to be the case for a couple of these. I will start off by saying that I chose not to go see this yesterday, which may or may not have, a bit, have been the correct decision. 
this is a movie that I definitely am interested in. So I thought maybe we'd just take it from that perspective. I have a 13 year old and I have a 15 year old. So I have children that are one year above and one year below eighth grade, which I feel like is the target demographic here. And so I'm interested in actually hearing from you as a parent. Well, I know you're not the parent, but I'm the parent. Yeah. What, <laughs> what did you think of this one? And does it accurately portray what you think eighth grade would be? Absolutely. So first off, let's uh let's state the obvious which is this is an a24 movie so it's gonna be dope i think that you're kind of on the same page as me we're just obsessed with most of what a24 does yep um very high average back to that analogy speaking of yeah speaking of speaking of batting averages they just knock it out of the park and what i love about this movie is it managed to be both really transportative in in taking you back to to like horrifying awkwardness of this time but it does it through a very modern lens and yet like the feelings behind it are are still so universal i don't have any kids and but i interact with children my my fiance she works with kids and i have a younger sister in high school this the the film it takes uh like the the horrifying being out of place feeling of like when in that like middle school transition and then puts that through the lens of like social media and like this complete obsession with, with um, digital presence. It's super like big hearted and, and heartfelt. Uh, but it also made me like terrified of my phone and want to just like smash it to bits. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Everything. It's just like, you know, like rolling through this social media and that and, I think one of one of my absolute favorite things about the film is its use of musical cues because I think so many teenagers and and kids in this uh of this of this age group are like constantly plugged in, you know, they're always walking around with earbuds in and that's something that you see all throughout this movie. Um and like there's a lot of instances where the dialogue just kind of falls away and and you're just like hearing like these crunchy musical cues, like some cool little pop song comes in or something when like the hot boy walks by or, or, or something like that. And I thought that Burnham just did a fantastic job of, of incorporating those musical cues. Yeah. That's probably kind of a personal thing for him too, because he, he's got his start in musical comedy Mm -hmm. in general. So I can't, I'm not surprised to hear that music plays a a big role in this. Yeah. And he does. I mean, that's, that was the big biggest standout for me. I mean, Elsie Fisher, uh, she's great too. But from a directorial perspective, he manages to to make music both funny and then like profoundly sad. There's moments where probably some of the biggest emotional moments in the scene in the in the movie, the dialogue is totally drowned out by by music. But you still you know exactly what's going on. You still get that emotional impact. So oh, that's I awesome. thought that was really cool. Yeah, actually more intrigued now than I was because I like the style that you're yeah. describing of the film, which yep. again, no shocker, A24 doesn't do things the typical studio way that this film might have been made. So it's it's not really filmed in a way that like an Edge of 17 might be made. It's something a little bit different. It's kind of um, when uh, I was describing it to my fiance last night and I was, you know, telling her that she would really like it. I was like, it's kind of like Baby Ladybird a little bit in that, like, it kind of captures like this feeling that's like so universal, even though it's so specific. That's great. Well, I definitely will be seeing this one. I know that it is getting lots and lots and lots of buzz in other critic circles. Um, one of our staff members, uh, Don Shanahan, has also seen it at his local film festival cool. in the past week, and he loved it. Definitely check this one out. Uh, if you're in Seattle, the showtimes for this are June 9th at 6.30 p.m. at SIF Cinema Egyptian and June 10th at 12.30 p.m. at SIF Cinema Uptown. Well, the next one we're going to talk about is American Animals. This is a film by director Bart Layton. I don't know. Most of our listeners probably are not going to be familiar with any of his previous work, which is usually the case with films anyway. But Bart Layton made a movie called The Imposter, and I'm wondering, have you seen that, Matt? Have I not talked about The Imposter with you before? No, I, like Mike was telling me about one it. One of my but... top five documentaries of all time. Okay. Have, have you seen it? No, my plan is to watch it before I interview him next Mind-boggling. Week. It's mind-boggling. It's one of those documentaries that's like stranger than fiction. Like it doesn't seem real at all. It's just, it's insanity. 
I, I don't know if you know the premise for it, but it's I do. Highly, I do. highly I, recommended. Okay, so it's from that guy. As yeah. you can hear, Matt being very excited. Gosh, uh, Bart Layton is a generally a documentarian previously, and he likes these obscure, what Matt just said, stranger than fiction stories. It's kind of what he's drawn to. And so American Animals tells the story of these four young college kids, and they are seeking out a little bit of adventure. They decide to make a heist. They decide to go and rob some rare books and art from a university library. And it's all about how they go through the process of doing this and the fact that they uh, they're inspired by movies that they've watched, thinking things are going to turn out the way they do in the movies. Well, the weirdest thing is they're watching movies like Reservoir Dogs. So that was the part that made me laugh. <laughs> is they're, they're, At one point in this movie, they're literally using Reservoir Dogs as reference. And I was like, have Everybody they seen the dies. ending? They know what dies. happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this movie I found pretty compelling. It was my first Bart Layton. And what, what is really interesting about American Animals is that it does something unique with the heist genre. Heist films, listeners, we just went through this. Patrick and I, we did a top five heist films for our bonus content. And so I personally have watched a ton of them in the last couple months. And one thing that I realized is how routine they are. It's very common for them to kind of just have that same flow and arc about them. But what Layton does is it seems like he takes his documentary background and he films the actual perpetrators of this crime, these these four men who – have done some prison time and are now out. He enters intertwines interviews of these characters with his actors, providing different perspectives on the story as it goes along. And it almost becomes this exercise in unreliable narrator. And I loved it. I don't know how you reacted, but I thought it was really cool. I think that the really novel approach of splicing back and forth between like a narrative reenactment and like these confessionals, I thought it was both like a gift and a curse to the movie because on the one hand, I, as you said, I thought it was kind of a fascinating examination of like truth in storytelling and, and how even when we are trying to quote unquote, tell a true story, like our memory is a fickle thing. Right. And, and I thought that that was an interesting element. And I liked seeing the actual people. I thought that that was kind of a compelling counterpoint to, to the, the story that we were being told. But in certain instances, I did feel like it took a little tension away because we ultimately know these guys are caught, presumably get out. Like I kept being like, is this guy still in prison? He's definitely not in prison. They wouldn't let him film out of prison. So I wondered that too. Out. And they kept like giving us kind of timelines. So we knew somewhat like the extent of like the severity of their crimes. But I did, I, I thought it was interesting. I think it's kind of a compelling way to tell this story. Then again, I did think it kind of uh, the flow and the pacing in some critical moments, I think suffered because of it. I'm literally right there with you on this. In fact, that was pretty much the only place I kind of knocked it is that I felt like some of the purely dramatic sections were just, they just felt kind of out of place and weird Right. We would go into these really emotional moments and these slow burn kind of times with our characters. And then we would be popping again in that poppy, fast paced, slick, stylish style. And it was just it was just a weird marriage. But overall, a really good experience. This has one of your your favorite actors in it. Uh, Barry Keegan. Uh, I, lo- I love Barry <laughs> Keegan last. I gave him best supporting actor. I know you did. <clears throat> I know you did. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, he's very good in this, actually. And I, I actually like all of them. Evan Peters is, Evan is Peters quite is good. And great. I'm a big Blake Jenner fan as well. There's one particular scene in this that I thought who? Blake Jenner was great. Who? Blake Jenner. Is he I here? know, but who? <laughs> right? Like, And that was another one of my problems is is we spend so much time focusing on, on Barry Keegan's and Evan Peters' character that Blake Jenner's character and um, the guy who played Eric, they never made a lick of sense to me. At least with uh, Evan Peters and, and, and Barry Keegan characters, like I understood that they were like suffering from like this suburban anyway. Mm-hmm. But the other two guys, it was just like, what are you doing? Like you were literally just like throwing away your lives. Even when they go get them, it's weird because they're like, we need to find some other people to help us. Who are some random people that can, we could find to join us in this crazy right. idea? I, I think that they really kind of, they struggled in developing 
those really important tertiary characters. But I think, you know, obviously Peters and Coogan did, did a really good job. Um, but I wish there was a little more spotlight shifted around. Yeah, definitely. I'd still highly recommend people go check this one out. Um, it's on my recommended list. I'm with you. I'd I'm excited to talk to Barton Layton about this uh, in a few days. So hopefully, is that in a that few days? Be, yeah, oh. that'll be posted right. soon. I'm sure you'll have a written version of a review, and we'll have an audio one as well. All right. Next up is a Seattle movie, Boundaries. This is a film that I did not get around to catching. Matt just made a face. Uh, I asked Matt, <laughs> listeners, I asked Matt about this movie. I said, hey, uh, who do I contact about getting a copy of this film so I can watch it before the podcast? And he was like, do you really need to do that? <laughs> so, no. so I didn't make it a rush. Uh, I'm guessing by his reaction that despite it being set in Seattle and having uh, Vera Farmiga, who I love, perhaps not the best. Here's the thing. In, in all honesty, the director, Shana Feste, I'm assuming that's how you say her last name. She's not a great writer-director. Right. I think that this is definitely an improvement for her. But, you know, she in her past, she's made such movies as Country Strong and Endless Love, you know, like these movies that have maybe some decent performances, I think are narratively flawed. This is okay. It's about a family who are traveling across the country. The grandfather is selling pot unbeknownst to the the mother. And he enlists the uh, the the grandson to to kind of help him. So there's something there, but the way it's done is just like pretty ho hum. It's hard to invest. I, I constantly found my mind wandering. Christopher Plummer's great. He's a reliable guy in front of the camera. He's got chemistry. It's fun to see him as kind of as like an old pot dealer playboy type. Farmiga's good. The cast is good. It's just. It's not a movie that I would ever come out swinging for. It's kind of like, oh, I, I saw that N- next. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I, I really thought with this cast that you could probably do something regardless of <laughs> how well a director handles it. I mean, when, you know, Vera Farmiga, Christopher Plummer, you mentioned, I know it also has Peter Fonda and yep. Christopher Reeves. Christopher, like, Christopher Lloyd is in it. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, lots of Christophers. It, everyone's... All of all of these other characters, I mean, Bobby Cannavale, like all these other characters are just like kind of pit stops along the way. They're all like pot sales. But yeah, it just never feels like it's really building towards something. There's like the familial drama element. And it's about like, you know, this estranged relationship um, between the various generations of, of this family. All in all, I just never felt invested in their relationships and their journey and their story. So I was kind of just tuning in and out and like, you know, those movies where you watch and you're like one eye is on it and the other eye is like kind of staring at the ceiling. It was a little bit like that. Well, there's a lot of good ones out there. So we got to have some that are skips. So, (laughs) And it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I think, again, I think it's a step up from from uh, this director's previous films. But it's not one that I would say, oh, seek this out, buy a ticket to this. If you're a diehard Vera Famiga fan, sure. You're not going to regret seeing it. It's a good thing that you would say that because I'm actually going to make a little bit of a, a correction here. This is the film that is sold out boundaries this is the one you can't get tickets to it's because it's set in seattle and that's that's the reason it's a seattle-based film so eighth grade everybody tickets are available these are not sold out so you can go get your tickets to eighth grade make sure you do that here's the thing everyone's now thinking oh i I just wanted to see eighth grade so now they can exactly and also american animals just to drop those showtimes Hopefully you're listening to this podcast like the day it releases, which is the opening day of SIF, because the showtimes are immediate. Mm-hmm. May 19th at 9 p.m. at SIF Cinema Uptown and May 20th at 1.30 p.m. at AMC Pacific Place. That second showing on May 20th, it's a Sunday afternoon at AMC Pacific Place. We'll have Bart Layton, the director, there as well if you're interested in that. And if you've never been to a festival screening with a director or a lead actor present – Highly recommend it. Some of the coolest experiences of my film festival life were when a director was present. In fact, I will kind of, I won't go into the whole story, but probably my best experience with SIF was a screening of a film by David Lowry Mm. way back when. And it's kind of what 
turned me on to that director in the first place, and I just Is that started Ain't Them Body Saints. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was Ain't Them Body Saints, and hearing him explain it and talk about it after the fact really enhanced my appreciation of the appreciation of the film. Um, and so it kind of just takes things to another level, and you get, getting to be in a room with those people, you also get to see how down to earth they are, and usually. Sometimes not the case. Sometimes not the case. But yeah. mostly. So highly recommend this one if you get a chance with Bart Layton there. So okay. question for you. Yeah. In the boundaries, I didn't see this written up in the notes. Is Vera Fumi going to be there at one of them? Nope. I didn't see any. <laughs> nope. I didn't see any. Uh, I swear she's person. coming to Seattle, though, because I'm, I'm supposed to talk to her. Oh, maybe. So. Maybe you just got lucky. Maybe it's more like I don't a, know. Yeah. Maybe they're gonna pull the old uh, the old Ethan Hawke and cancel the last. Oh, movie. that was just so sad. <laughs> Although getting to see and talk to Vera Farmiga about a movie probably makes it worth having watched it. So. That's literally the only. So reason for I you, watched. that it was, was the worth only it. reason I watched it. So I could sit down and chat with. Her. All right. Well, switching gears, this next film we're gonna talk about is completely different and bonkers. Um, so this is not a familial drama. <laughs> This movie is called Don't Revenge. Don't bring your kids. Don't bring your kids. Called Revenge, and it's actually out in limited release across the country now. When you're listening to this, listeners, so depending on where you are, you can seek this out and go see it. There's one SIF screening. I'll just go ahead and knock it out up front. It's May 18th, so it's the day this podcast comes out at midnight at SIF Cinema Egyptian. If you're going to go see it, this is a great way to do it. This is the kind of movie that I think midnight. Go see it. Yeah, yeah. go see it in general. See but it. that midnight showing, yeah. I think, would be it's ideal. Be a pumped up audience. Uh huh. Midnighters, so, so long as you have the energy for it, are always a lot of fun. Exactly. Especially th- if they're selling beer there. That's always <laughs> pumped. This one is something that I felt like was kind of up your alley right away. Uh, it's from a French Canadian director named Coralie. Fargiat, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. But... As a resident French Canadian, I'll tell you, I think that's correct. Okay. <laughs> so what this is, is it's a feminist revenge, rape revenge thriller. And it's about a young woman who is away with her married boyfriend uh, in this mountainous kind of desert. I know that sounds conflicting, but that's what it seems like. Area. And he's got a couple of sleazy friends that show up and things start going poorly for her as i mentioned rape revenge and then it just turns into her becoming a complete badass and hunting them down at crazy lengths so i did not think i would like this i'm not normally a fan of what people consider exploitation films i don't love a lot of blood and guts um and i don't like overly sexualized content however for me this blew me out of the water i was shocked i was engaged the whole time and there's only one time when i had to turn away and cover my eyes so that was good i know the part it involved glass <laughs> yep um <laughs> the glass diehard scene. scene on steroids oh and uh yeah so for me i thought this was great like i said it's a feminist take on on a character who is standing up for herself a character trope that we see in so many movies where a woman is just taken advantage of and treated like powerless and that is flipped on its head here yeah i think that for me this this really kind of reminds me of of a take on like the 70s exploitation films obviously something like last house on the left maybe like uh mrs 45 for those of you who who know your your deep dive horror movies um as aaron alluded to i'm horror has become my favorite genre it's probably um one of my one of my specialties. So I'm always looking forward to your art house horror movies. I steer away from studio horror movies by and large, but art house horror movies are my jam. And so I was amped to see this. Been every time that a trailer for it came on, I'd, I'd watch like the first or the first time it came on, I watched the first like 30 seconds. I was like, yeah, this looks great. And then I'd always have to hide my eyes because I, I didn't want to see anymore because I want to, I wanted to experience it without knowing what was going to happen. So I, I just love how this movie is, is set up and in that, like, it's so stripped down uh, to like the basic elements of a survival horror kind of movie. And yet it flips like the predominantly patriarchal elements on its head uh the the director uh she she's obviously a female and i i think one of the little bits of kind of behind the scenes or like uh, breaking things down things that i've read on this film is that traditionally you know we see we see this movie 
or, or or a version of this movie where like we meet the young hot the PYT as uh, Michael Jackson would call it. <laughs> she's you know scantily clad, perhaps she's naked, and that kind of like will be used to represent like her her weakness and her susceptibility. Whereas in this film, like we start out seeing a man fully naked, completely naked. So right? <laughs> a little bit of a content advisory. If you're not into fully naked dudes, the thing is though, like what you're gonna what you're getting at, it is it is about showing him as completely vulnerable right. and it is not sexual. It, it, like there's nothing that's hot about the nudity in this film. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, well, there's, there's, there's some sexually charged scenes, like when she's dancing by the pool and whatnot, but yes, the, the, the sexual, uh, the sexual elements of this film are very, very much non-sexualized, but I love the use of gore in this movie. I think that, uh, it's it's easy to to get excessive, and rather, I think that this just does things really well in like a really contained way. Like, I, I always prefer horror movies where it's like the uh, the quote unquote kills are like inspired and memorable, and I feel like this movie is full of them. And then there's a scene in the third act where one of the characters is bleeding, and it seems like he has about three times the amount of of human blood in his body that's like all over everywhere so that was that was just kind of fun as well yeah it's definitely very super stylized uh cinematography is great it is and the colors stick out to me i always notice that when the colors really pop psychedelic and poppy very bright um fantastic soundtrack to this as well it's got kind of it's kind of like being like it's like euro rave right yes that's exactly what i thought of was like we were in a rave most of the time um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And I, if you have any stomach for this at all, it's worth seeing. And like me, I'm not a fan of this genre and I loved it. So I think that this is a very good kind of bridge type film for this style. And it's awesome that it's being told from maybe, this perspective. Maybe you're just coming around, Aaron. Maybe. maybe I, that you're it happened in other genres since I started watching. Cause I, I like years and years ago. I I didn't really like horror, but now it is my favorite. So there's well, hope for you yet, sir. Excellent. Well, the next one on our list is another. I think it's a body horror, but I don't know enough about this one. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten around to seeing it. It is on my list to check out. Uh, this one's called Blew My Mind, and it was one that you found and picked out mind. of the list. Yep, blew my mind. It did blow your mind. Okay, so it's when I say blew my mind, listeners, uh, that's B L U E. My mind, not B L E W, and the double entendre is intentional. Though I, I <laughs> yeah, kind of assumed. Now yeah. I don't know anything about this, so I guess yeah. just tell you us. Yeah. So okay, so you said it's kind of a body horror. It's to me, this is like it's like if you filtered Mean Girls through David Cronenberg. That's um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's a lot to to kind of wrap your head around. But but in essence, it's about this girl's sexual maturation. She just moved to this new town and she's trying to find where she fits in. And and while this is happening, there's also some like transformations going on with her. And it's, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's one of these things where like uh, from the beginning, I had an inkling of, of what was going on and it turned out to be right. And like the whole time I'm like, wait, is this really what they're going for? I don't want to spoil it because that might not be everyone's reaction going through it. But uh, to suggest that it's kind of like uh, something like The Fly or or even Spring from Benson and Moorhead, little little sci-fi horror movie that came out in 2014. Big um, fan of that one. So that yeah. that's what gets my attention. So there's definitely elements to that in it, but it's also it's really well acted. Um, the direction is 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 really smart. I think it's the the director is able to capture a lot of tension. And the thing that blew my mind the most about this, um, and I don't know if if you know about this, but this movie was submitted as the director's thesis in in art in in film school. No, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, to have and, it in a film and like. Story. Yeah, you're, you're, I was watching, and like, honestly, you would never notice, like, the acting is, is fantastic. The direction's great. Um, there's some practical, uh, effects works that, you know, they, they don't do anything digitally. It's all practical, and it looks, it looks really good. Honestly, I would have recommended this movie 
pretty highly were it not somebody's student film. But the fact that like this is somebody's like debut and like they submitted this for this is Lisa Broman's her name. I should I should stop omitting her name. That this is Broman's debut and that <laughs> this is what she delivered. It's just it's it's that much more mind boggling. So what about raw? Because this idea of a kind of a high school aged girl. Yeah experimenting sexually and partying and binge drinking. I know that's in some of the synopsis for this. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a little bit of the way that coming age story of raw was. Yeah. Um, Raw. I I mean, I I was thinking about raw from, from the second that started, I think I'm I'm sure your listeners won't know you. You certainly know, but I called raw um, my number one movie of last year. I absolutely loved that movie. I know you, you did not like it as much. This, this definitely has, elements to that i think that that movie was about passing on family trauma and i think that this has uh elements of this of that as well but it's it's more geared towards kind of like self-discovery and like finding yourself and and forging relationships outside of your family but this this is a movie if we're doing um some some uh content advisories this gets uh pretty sexually explicit there's a lot of scenes of of partying excessively there is a scene where um it's not exactly a gangbang but it's pretty much a gangbang <laughs> and you see um a lot of penises lots of so, there's a different you know when we watch these international yeah. films yeah oh, yeah yeah like the the show in the penis is no big thing so yeah. there's you're definitely you're gonna get some penis it's subtitled right it's switzerland Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, if if you're interested in movies like Raw, Spring, even The Fly, I think that this is something that you would very much enjoy. And just to to see a director like Lisa Broman, like right, come out of the fences with this, like oh my god, it's just yeah, definitely. Very I, I I will still be checking this one out for sure. Uh, Showtimes for this one locally are May nineteenth at eight p.m. at Arc Lodge Cinemas, and May twenty eighth at 8.30 p.m. at SIF Cinema Uptown. Man, it's like everything's like the first first day or two. There are a ton of these that only have showings within the first like week. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of wild, actually. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm a little bit surprised. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so these next two films we're going to talk about are big hitters. Um, we don't get a ton of these at the festival. And the thing with our festival here in Seattle is even when we do get these big films – they're typically not like the debuts. So even our They're big, never the debuts. <laughs> well we did I think we got the, the debut of the big sick, but I mean we do have nope. Amazon nope, living. That was, that was uh Sundance. We, oh my gosh, we yeah. didn't even get that and Amazon's yeah. here. Um Well darn. Okay. Well Amazon bought it at Sundance. Ah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. Well we don't get those, but we do yeah, exactly. tend to get up, you know. This next film we're going to talk about is called First Reformed. And uh, this, if you have... A24! It's another A24 film. Shut it out. Has an actual actor that you know named Ethan Hawke and another named Amanda Seyfried and Cedric the Entertainer in a more dramatic role. So this has people you know. Is it bad if I did not realize that was Cedric the Entertainer until you just said that right now? No, actually, that's really good (laughs) because I think he did a a fantastic job and that speaks to it because it's not him just spitting comedy. Right. This is directed and written by Paul Schrader, which you may not recognize the name, but you will know the legend. Uh, This is the man who wrote Taxi Driver, The Last Temptation of Christ, and something else. Isn't it funny because like this feels a lot like a synthesis of taxi driver and the last temptation of Christ. It, those are, that's why I brought those up. Yes, right. it really does. It feels like he put them together yeah. and, you know, threw in some environmentalism for fun. But the thing about first reform. So what this is, is it's a, a person. Well, let me back up. Paul Schrader has a background in reformed theology. And this is one I'm really intrigued to hear your thoughts on because I actually am Reformed theology, like that is my faith, is this this Calvinism background that Paul Schrader came from. And I don't know what yours is, but I know it's not that. So I'm intrigued to see how we took this film differently. Me from the faith-based perspective and you maybe From a more secular perspective. Probably, yeah. (laughs) So this is a movie about Ethan Hawke as a priest 
He's a former war veteran who has returned home. He's lost his son and lost his wife. Um, his wife is estranged at this point or the divorced uh, due to the actual loss of their son. And he's just being a pastor of a very small countryside church with a very tiny amount of attendance. And it actually doubles as a souvenir shop, essentially. It's a, it's kind of like a historical location. And it is overseen by Cedric the Entertainer's megachurch, right? Which is very common in the world today. And what the primary story revolves around is Ethan Hawke writes a journal right from the very beginning and narrates over the course of this film his story through this journal he's keeping he is dealing with depression and he's drinking and he's got some physical ailments he meets a man who may or may not be having thoughts of becoming a eco-terrorist due to his beliefs about the environment being ruined by man and hawk's character the reverend starts to slowly feel like maybe he's got some points to be made there How did you take this one? So I thought this movie was just phenomenal. I thought it was a fascinating manifesto on some of the the greatest themes that are troubling American society and, and global society today. I think that this examination of faith and what true faith is, I thought was incredibly impelling, compelling. Um, the, the, the fact that um, we have this, uh, this character, Ethan Hawke's reverend character, who is this devout man struggling to kind of find his place within his faith. Um, and then we see like the, the, the butting of heads between organized religion, kind of like the handouts that they're taking and, and the, the political stances that they're taking versus things like, uh, environmentalism, as you brought up, is is a huge player in this. And just like the the continual discussion of like, is this what God wants? Like he wants he wants us to destroy the world for short short term profit. And you know, a lot of the the mega church guys, you know, they're hemming and hawing because they're sitting pretty. They're sitting on their pile of gold. But I think from just a purely philosophical uh, point of view, I thought that that was really fascinating. And the way that it's handled, I thought was was very emotionally involving. And then the performances on top of it, you know, it's just, what's so good about it is it's so layered. Like yes. the performances are fantastic. Um, the direction is fantastic. I love when it goes into kind of like hallucinatory directions um, and kind of really lets, lets wild. That's the A24 showing. <laughs> That's, yeah. Those exactly. those couple of moments are where the film is either going to keep you or lose you, uh, I believe. There's and then, a couple of distinct scenes, absolutely. including the ending. That. I think yeah, to bring up the ending, I thought that left me just in a daze. I thought it was phenomenal. I couldn't have thought of a better way to, to close that movie up. Yeah. And it's going to be divisive. Um, oh, no yeah. doubt about that. Oh, and, gonna hate it. <laughs> you know, and I, and I walked out of it and I felt the same way as you. It was the movie that I couldn't stop thinking about. I didn't really know what to say. It's kind of haunting. It is a stunner and I'm not sure. I really want to see it again. Uh, I will definitely be seeing it again because it asks more questions than it does. It's more concerned with asking questions than it is with providing answers. Yeah. It's one of those kind of movies. The writing is obviously phenomenal. This guy is super talented at that. And I think that what's great about this film is from a philosophical standpoint, environmentalism from the faith related portions of this. I mean, it asks so many questions. It talks about, it has a conversation starter about abortion. It has a conversation starter about the mega church and, you know, the role that it plays in faith based systems and religion today. And all of this is great as a trigger for like self-reflection or for sitting down and talking about it. It doesn't try to tell you this is how things should be. Right. It simply says, Hey, Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, what if it's one of those rare face based movies that is not preaching. I think that in that capacity, I kind of assume, and I wonder, I wonder if you'll agree that, that this will probably connect more with secular audiences than it will 
with Christian audiences because of the the stances or, or the perspectives that it's that it's drawing up. I do. I think that much like Silence, and th- and this is kind of the point of the film in some ways. Audiences that are flocking into these mega churches, not having any idea that they are just you know politically involved. They're giving money to these energy companies, being sponsored by them, and all of this stuff. People who watch your typical Christian faith-based films like A God's Not Dead and, and things like that the, are going to the be – garbage. They're going to be rattled by this. This is the silence of this year. They're not going to know how to handle something that gives them nuance or makes them question their faith or not necessarily question their faith, but like explore it, explore why they feel the way they do or believe the way they do. But I actually am in a group, many groups that focus on film and theology – and breaking down what theologically can be drawn out of any movie. And so far, the few people that have seen it in those groups are reacting very similar to me mm. and the way we reacted to silence, which is, hey, this is actually, like you said, this is a better faith-based film yeah. because it gets you thinking. It gets you exploring it. Well, it's not, I feel like a lot of, of faith-based films, um, they come from a perspective of preaching to the choir. Right. There's, there's like this, this moral superiority complex going on with them where like the whole world's persecuting us and we're here to save the day. Um, and this is not that at all. This is, I think, a much more substantial and self-reflective examination of what actual faith is. And I think that, um, you know, again, I'm not a, a person who, uh, prescribes to any particular religion, but I don't think that makes me inherently a non-spiritual person. Um, and I think that the questions that this movie asks will be really challenging for, for the types of quote unquote faithful people who think that religion and faith and spirituality is just, you know, showing up for an hour on Sunday and throwing $10 into the, the collection bin. Because I think that this, this challenges audience to think about it, um, from a much broader, much more, um, philosophical perspective it does and it shows you that you can be a person of immense faith because ethan hawk's reverend truly is yeah and you can be depressed and you can it shows you the the way in which the mind can turn and and, you know you can slowly change into a way of thinking that you never would have said you'd support Right. Right. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's a great exploration. I loved it so much, everything about it. And I I hope people will check this one out. It is playing May 18th at 4 p.m. at Sif Cinema Egyptian and May 22nd at 7 p.m. at Sif Cinema Uptown. And its wide release is coming very soon. I believe it's June 1st-ish or something like that. It's like the first or second week of June. So and when I say it's wide release, it is A24. So that yeah, means it, we're talking New York and LA markets and maybe a couple other big cities. Yeah. So it'll slowly roll out by the end of the year. Luckily, this is, this one is coming early. Mm-hmm. One thing that tends to hinder some of A24's best movies is when they slow roll in like November. Yeah. It's hard for them to gain traction with people that don't get a chance to see them. This one, I hate all... to say it, but I don't, I don't see this being a, commercial success i and and i think that that alone will keep it from from really any awards consideration but i think that that you will agree with me that that this is probably ethan hawk's best work and he is uh more than deserving of of any awards recognition it's it's right up there right up there for me with his best work for sure and the writing i think the writing is definitely Mm -hmm. laudable so last one we're going to cover is another big one Uh, for those that follow any type of cinephile circles you will probably know that there is a documentary coming out this year about the late great mr fred rogers now this is called won't you be my neighbor appropriately the trailer alone uh, has made pretty much everyone who watched it cry. So you can imagine yeah. what going into this film is like. If you have any history with Mr. Rogers, the background for, for what I need to tell you is just that this is going to cover his life from essentially from beginning to end with a huge focus on the creation of his show, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and the impact, and most importantly, his mindset and his desires and what made him the person that he was. So I want to ask, first off, what did you have a background with 
Mr. Rogers neighborhood yourself going yeah. into this. Yep. So I, 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 I grew up in the, I, I was a nineties kid. And so I remember Mr. Rogers being on when I was younger. I, I definitely remember having uh, an affinity towards him. And, and um, he's one of those guys where like, who, who is ever like, Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, Mr. Rogers, screw that guy. You know, like, I feel like he's, he's like kind of like America's like grand paternal figure, you know, like everyone, everyone has affinity towards, towards Mr. Rogers. No, <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, I, I'd seen the show for sure. Maybe we're closer to similar. Like I, I'd watched it growing up here and there, but it was not something that was a huge part of my life. Like mm-hmm. I didn't remember being Oh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was like, oh, yeah, I I kind of vaguely remember that show. Right. Um, so I wasn't plugged into him as much. I, I knew him as a good-hearted person, and it was kind of – honestly, it was a little bit on a outside outsider looking in. Hmm. So this was incredibly informative to me. This was material that I had no idea he was as good as he can be. And that's really what I got out of this documentary was that – this is a man who you truly, and they kind of tried at points to poke holes in, like find a chink in this man's armor. Like right. no one can be this pure and this good. Yeah. And he was, um, his yeah. own son. One of the, the quotes that really, it was very interesting during the film is his son said at one point, it's really hard when your dad is the second coming of Christ. <laughs> yeah. And it's both hilarious literally- and you know, it's, it's hard you know, you got to be empathetic for that person because yeah, that he's growing up with that. Follow, yeah. Right? Like, can you imagine if your dad was, was Fred Rogers? Like it's a, that's a high bar. It is. But and I, it's a wonder they turned out good and didn't go the opposite routes. Like a lot of preachers kids. Right. Yeah. And I just thought that as a documentary, this was just kind of like a warm ray of sunshine. It's just, it really makes you feel good. It really shows you like the possibility of, political movements because i think that's what he was in essence he was he was a avant-garde political movement towards just love and acceptance and and understanding and empathy and and caring and and all these things that in our current political and and socio environment like have dried up in a lot of capacities and i think that that's that's something that makes this resonate resonate as 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 much as it does um, is seeing what he was striving for and what he tried to create, and then juxtaposing that with where we are today and the mudslinging and and the 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 cyberbullying um, mm-hmm. that you know our politicians use, our president of the United States being a chief offender. Like it's, I think that that's something that makes this so poignant right now. Um, is, is that juxtaposition? I agree. I think people will definitely take that away from it. Um, I love that it uses interviews and does tie in historical context for what was going on in the world at these times. And, you know, he didn't even realize how radical what he was doing at the time was, Um, it was kind of unheard of. And he was just trying to be himself. I I didn't know going in that he was an ordained Methodist minister and, Mm -hmm. He essentially used his desire to preach and desire to minister and combined it with his passion for child development in creating this place, this safe place, right, for learning and kids. So it's it's pretty stunning. I definitely will admit that I, you know, teared up multiple times during this documentary. And it, uh-huh. I love the way you put it because for me, the, the main takeaway was it felt good. It felt good to see a good person. Um, it was inspiring to me. And reminding that, you know, hey, guess what? We can be that way if right. we choose. And it's kind of, I mean, if for despite how warm and big hearted he is as a character and to see that on the screen, I think it is kind of depressing in a way too, to like, to just take that and then look at where, where we are and be like, huh, like what happened? Like, where did, where did we go wrong? Like, why did we abandon like this method of talking to one another and instead go down the route we're at today. And I would love this to break out in such a way that like becomes something that informs the culture because we all know that there are movies like that. And this is one, if that did happen, like a future that's more Fred Rogers like is, is a future that I think we'd all like to live in. 
Heck yeah. Well, this one's playing in Seattle at uh, the Sif Cinema Uptown on May 26th at 6 p.m. and then May 27th at 1.30 p.m. So highly recommend that you get out to see this one. I'm not sure of the wide release date on it. It's going to be a little bit further behind. But if you're one of those people that likes to see awards movies, guarantee you right now it's nominated for an Oscar, probably the front runner for most of the year. It's so, going to be, yeah, it's going to be a big top. deal. It's going to be talked well, about. Morgan Neville already won an Oscar too. Yeah, that's true. Started director years mm-hmm. ago, so he's in a pretty, pretty good position. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking time to go through some of these with me. It's yeah. been awesome. Yeah, good times. Where can people find your work online and interact with you on social media if you choose to do that kind of stuff? Well, if you'd like to opt to, uh, you know be a silver screen riot follower just you can check out my website silverscreenriot.com also over on facebook same thing have a little facebook page going on um on twitter it's ssr.com with the dot com spelled out definitely give me a follow or uh, come read my sif coverage i've i think i've already posted all a small treasure trove of reviews and um i'll probably be posting almost every day throughout the festival we have these uh little capsule reviews so they're easy enough to crank out it's only about 90 words so take you about a minute kind of go through uh through the movies so definitely come check that out if you're interested in um following our sif coverage excellent well i highly recommend everybody do that and then if you want to talk to me you can do so on twitter at feelin film aaron or through the main twitter account at feelin film or you can join our Facebook group where there is always conversation happening. And also go to Feel and Film. You can find my own capsule reviews. There's a pinned post uh, for SIF Cinema or SIF International Film Festival capsule reviews. It's pretty easy to find where I have one running log of all of mine as well. So thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this and the previous episode. And there will probably be another one later on during the film festival just to kind of wrap up any loose ends and movies that we've seen but we wanted to get these two out as soon as possible so you had time to get tickets to these movies and not just hear about ones you can't go see right (laughs) 